Hello, it is Liam Schmidt here from Irish Funds. Today we are bringing you the next episode from our series of recordings from the recent Irish Funds annual conference held in Dublin on May the 18th. We are delighted to share with you this business leaders panel discussion, which we moderated by Neve Garrity of Deloitte. The esteemed panellists for this discussion include Lisa Harlow from the Vanguard Group, Laura Trimble from HSBC and Cyril Delamere from Waystone. This panel will discuss their perspectives on the hot topics and macroeconomic challenges confronting the organisations and the industry at large. I am sure you'll find the insights to be fascinating and do keep an eye out for further podcasts shortly from the Irish Fund's annual conference 2023. So good morning, everyone. Um, the purpose of this session, as Siobhan mentioned, is really just to give good perspective from our business leaders on the key challenges and opportunities that are facing um, the investment management industry and indeed the wider financial services industry. And we're lucky to be joined by some um, three kind of different leaders from three different types of businesses, which should really give us a great um, diversity of views. So without further ado, I'll introduce the panel. So I have, um, I'm joined today by Laura Trimble. Um, she is the CEO and Head of Wholesale Banking at HSBC in Ireland. I'm also joined by Cyril Delamere, who is the Chief um, um, Growth Officer for Waystone, and Lisa Harlow, who's the CEO of Vanguard Group in Ireland. So without further ado, I'll kick off. Um, Laura, so from your perspective, what are the kind of key challenges and opportunities that are facing your business? Thanks, Neven, and good morning, everyone. So I thought I would start just by putting HSBC in Ireland in a slightly broader context. So hopefully everyone here will be aware that we have a uh, fund administration and security services business here, and that's been the core of HSBC's business in Ireland for about 40 years or so now. You might be a bit less familiar with the fact we also have a bank here, so maybe just a moment on the banking business, uh, which has been in Ireland since 2007. So we support multinationals, we support Irish corporates, and we also support regional treasury businesses in Ireland. Um, we have about 2,000 multinational clients in Ireland, about 200 Irish corporates, and, and together we employ about 400 people in the country. So, you know, when we think about opportunity, we're thinking about that across the whole ecosystem, whether that's with people in our, uh, in our banking business, and that's, you know, client-facing, relationship managers, trade finance specialists, um, you know, people focusing on, on FX and other products, or people in the fund administration business, which you'll all be well familiar with, or people in roles, you know, broader areas such as risk and, and compliance, etc. So, on both of those sides of the business, what we're really focusing on is international connectivity. And, and for us, you know, what makes Ireland an exciting market, and, and Ireland is a fundamentally a priority market for us in both of those businesses, is its international connectivity. And, and you know, we see that you know, with all of our clients in, in all the parts of our businesses. You know, Irish clients are becoming more international, and multinational clients you know, continue to want to invest more in Ireland. So we see tremendous opportunity on the growth side you know, in both parts of our business. In terms of the challenges, you know, I think we'll touch on them in more detail, but maybe just to briefly summarise, because there are, are quite a few, although lots of them are as a result of the opportunity, how to attract and retain our staff, you know, what kind of a employee value proposition we offer, and is that competitive? You know, we're competing with you know, multiple different parts of the ecosystem here, but you know, I'm also competing with people in HSBC in, in the Netherlands or in Switzerland, in Spain, you know, in, in South Africa. So you know, we want to have a value proposition that works so that we can help our staff uh, move internationally and, and develop their careers at HSBC. 
things like what's your position on sustainability um, and, and how you frame that in a way that's attractive to your employees, you know, the culture that you have in the organization, maybe um, where your staff are able to live as well is, is probably another one. So I think some challenges, um, and we'll touch on those in a bit more detail later. Okay, thanks very much, Laura. Lisa, I'll turn to you from your perspective. What are the key challenges and opportunities? Yes, uh, thanks, Neve, and um, thank you for inviting me today. It's great as a new, um, very much a new part of this um, important um, industry. Uh, it's great to actually be participating today. Um, so I think for Vanguard, so I'm re representing, we're, we're a management company here in Ireland, but we also have um, significant uh, global fund operations. So we very much see this as a hub of our um, global um, sort of wider enterprise. And so I'll often speak with my Manco hat on, but very conscious that we are a, a large global distributor and serving um, tens of millions of retail clients around the world. And we have a very particular retail focus. We don't really do institutional business in the classic sense. So we're very much thinking about the end investor. And I, I think Owen's comments resonated with me. One of the most important things we always have to remember in these very difficult times is what is the experience of our end investor. So we, we definitely have to think about our role in helping them through these volatile times. You know, we've talked about things like you know, just staying the course in an environment where you could make um, quite um, inappropriate investment decisions. So what is our role to help investors think through these times? How do we retain that trust in a world where we have risks around things like cyber and you know, fraud issues? So I think one of the things for us is focusing on the end client and our role in supporting them. Um, it would be remiss of me not to mention sort of the pace and the impact of regulatory change as organisations respond to that, both here in Europe but in other jurisdictions where you may see divergence, you may see different opinions. So what are you doing locally and globally to think about your response to um, a range of regulatory change challenges? And to Laura's point, all of these things have opportunities in them as mm. well as challenges. So you have to see these things in both lights. Um, and then it is really important... People, people are at the heart of our organisation, every organisation, um, and we've been very thoughtful about the legacy of the pandemic and the hiring and growth that happened in the pandemic, and what did we lose, and what, did we, what do we need to do to invest in our people to make sure that we um, move them forward into this kind of new environment, and I think that, that that's a great topic for us to explore because it's a common experience so I think that's one of the things we we should dig into okay and Cyril from your perspective yes, so from, from our perspective uh, Waystone most of you would know the, the company we're global leader in uh, governance compliance and administration services and uh, Ireland is a very important market to us. We're, we're headquartered here. Uh, we have uh, over uh, 500 uh, people working uh, for, for Waystone in our different hubs, uh, Dublin, Cashel, and um, and it's it's the, the the way we look at the world in and uh, as a senior leadership perspective is that you know we have to look at the macros and the and the macro, as Owen earlier earlier said is very difficult. You have a lot of volatility in the market, you have a lot of uh, um, inflation in, in, in the general consumer world. So how do you address those and structure products at the same time that remain relevant? And that's one of the key things that we always challenge with our fund manager clients is making sure that the products that are being structured and that are being launched are actually relevant for the 
and consumer and for the, for the, for the long-term well-being of their savings. And I, th I think that's, that's one of the really key things. In it, but if you look at all the darkness that we can see in the markets today, in the you know, geopolitical world, on the flip side, I think our industry is, is, is blessed in the sense that we have not seen any drop in activity. Fund launches uh, on a global basis continue. Fund managers have plans. Allocators continue to invest in, in, in products, probably you know, less aggressive products than a couple years ago, probably more defensive. But you know, the, the, the number of product has, 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 has continued to, 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 to grow and launches continue to be very dynamic. And that brings a, an opportunity, but also a, 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 a risk that we have to anticipate. And that is probably one of the key words, is anticipation of how do we build the teams? How do we make sure that we have at all times sufficient uh, people to support our clients, make sure that our quality of service and offering remains the same, making sure that we as an industry launch funds in an efficient and fluid manner, you know, and, uh, and, and making sure that we are able to support our clients with their objectives and asset raising objectives because, you know, markets going down, we get impacted, launching new funds, we, 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 we will increase our revenues, all of us in this, mm. in, in this room and in this industry. So extremely important from that perspective. I think one of the other opportunities is, is, is making sure that we, we, we stay relevant. And uh, you know, innovation, technology, extremely important. Uh, making sure that the relevance within the new, the new funds that are being created and that the support that we get from the industry, the governments, is there to support us in um, making sure that Ireland remains a, a, a key domicile for fund structures, which it has been and will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Thanks very much, Cyril. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, I mean, that bringing that back to that end investor, obviously that's where all the business generates from and comes from in the first, um, in the first place. So, um, you know, Lisa, kind of turning to you, in terms of, and I think you've all mentioned around the sustainability piece, ESG, it's obviously a key, you know, topic on, on all board uh, agendas. You know, from Vanguard's perspective, how do you see you, that fitting in when you think of that end investor? I think it's important to recognise, you know, um, we are fully supportive of the, if you like, the in regulatory and political intent around sustainability issues. That's, that's absolutely critical. And I think we all know that financial services has a role to play. We have different roles to play. Your different organisations are able to think about this in a different way. Um, so I think what we would say at Vanguard, as, as I mentioned, we, we primarily focus on retail clients. We're actually owned by our clients in the US, so we're a mutual. So we have to be very thoughtful about what we do for, for, for two client reasons, if you like. Um, so we probably step back a little bit and think about the word sustainability mm. in a it, not necessarily a completely different way to others. But for us, sustainability is not specifically ESG. It's about thinking about what delivers for our end investors in a sustainable way over the long term. Um, the time horizons of our, of our investors are generally 30 or 40 years. You know, they're thinking about retirement. They may be thinking about saving for college funds for, for children, those kind of things. So you've got a long time horizon, and our role is to deliver products that um, deliver sustainable outcomes for those investors. So we think about 
the principles of how we develop products, um, they're enduring. There should be, you know, we, Vanguard, I think, plays in a certain space. We know what we do, we do it well. And so if we're going to develop things in this sort of ESG space, we still have to stay true to the principles that have worked for our products over the last 40 mm. years. So we think about, is this, is this a product that's enduring? Does it have a strong investment thesis that we can see playing out over 30 or 40 years? Um, is it something that meets the needs of, you know, Cyril mentioned the needs of investors. We might argue investors don't always know what they need, but what do we think is the right thing to offer them within our range of products mm. that will give them choice, but also gives them the investment returns? And also, can we, can we, in this regulatory environment and in the operational environment that supports that, actually deliver the product? And that means, will it, will it do what it says? Can the things like data, if we speak about ESG, data is always an area. Can we operationally and you know, from a compliance perspective support that product? Do we feel confident that we're not creating risk for ourselves or our clients? So sustainability is about all of those principles mm. that you have. And um, if we can't tick all those boxes, even though we might be looking at all sorts of interesting and innovative ideas, it, it wouldn't come out from our organisation. And I think that's really important is that um, you know, we're very thoughtful about what we put out there. We want to offer choice and the right kind of products, but sustainability is about that enduring investor outcome. Um, and so, so that's the way we would describe it. Yeah, um, I mean, I can completely see that. I mean, it, and it really does depend on the perspective of your investors, you know, that your business model um, and that, that pension piece that you mentioned, obviously the long-term sustainability piece. Um, Cyril, from Waystone's perspective, you know, how are you viewing ESG sustainability? So uh, the way we see sustainability is, uh, you know, as a, as a governance uh, provider. And uh, to Lisa's point, these allocators will invest for their pensions, for their retirements. They have a 40-plus a year uh, time horizon. And our role here is to make sure that these products are structured in the right, with the right governance framework. So essentially making sure that, you know, we work around the fund manager because we don't generate alpha, fund managers generate alpha. But what we do is we enable the vehicle to make money for these, mm. uh, for, for, for these ad investors. And having a strong governance framework around those, the, the, those fund structures is extremely important. And this is what Waystone will be focused on as, uh, and, and the industry here in general, making sure that the ad investors' money is taken into the right hands and make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing uh, from an investment's point of view. So very much a, a key focus on, on the G of, of ESG, uh, you know, with, with, with governance, which is extremely important. If you have a strong governance, you can then focus on the E and the S. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the E with the environment, we, we, we all know, you know, we, we're all trying to making sure that we use less plastic, that we give less, uh, you know, little things in conferences which have plastic or, you know, which are not environmentally friendly. So you try to rationalize the way that you approach your marketing, your communication. Uh, you, you, we also look at the way when we, we move offices, we will always be looking at environmentally friendly offices with new generation grades of you know, uh, energy savings. So very much kind of 
looking at this as an industry is extremely important. Um, from our client's perspective, we have uh, more and more clients very much focused on the ESG side of things, uh, especially uh, you know, with, 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 with investment funds for new generations, which are very focused on you know, the planet uh, and, mm. and, 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 how we, uh, and how they are going to be able to live for the next 40, 50 years and go into their own pensions in the future. You know, how do you, how do you really kind of like have a sustainable fund, a sustainable investment strategy? And so we guide them through that, and we also guide them through the different articles that you know have been kind of put in place with SFDR and uh, and enabling them to be able to showcase their allocation, their, their investment strategy in the right way. And finally, from a Social, from a social perspective, it's very important to, to today look at diversity, to look at uh, you know, the, the ways that we work with people. Uh, Waystone is, is fortunate enough to, to have good diversity. Uh, we have 49% uh, uh, females, 51% uh, uh, males, and um, so a, 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 nice, a nice mix, and this mix is not only out of the overall staff pool, but it's also represented and, uh, and are, are, are at the senior management level with a, a, a fairly large number of CEOs of the different business lines, which would be females. So something which is very important to us and something that we keep a very, very keen eye on to make sure that there is uh, a... A, a, a good blend of the different people within and that everybody can find their place within the workplace. That's great. And I mean, we'll definitely touch on the talent piece um, later on. Um, Laura, I mean, HSBC is such a, a huge you know, organization um, and ESG is such a huge topic. I mean, how do you guys look at it? Why do you break it down? Yeah, thanks, Neven. I've now have two microphones, so hopefully you can hear me better. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was going to take it in that direction, actually, I guess, to sort of talk about how we try and look at this at a group level, because, you know, stepping all the way up to, to a group level, you know, we have about 250,000 people globally, you know, we're in 80 or so, so countries, and we're in retail, we're in wholesale, we're in markets and security services. So what we try and do is, I guess, start from the perspective of, you know, commitments that we've made at a group level, and I mean, I won't run through them all because there are many, but, you know, fundamentally, we've made this a core part of our strategy, and we've made various commitments, and, and they are in the areas of committing certain amounts of investment, so we've committed up to a trillion dollars of, of financing towards, uh, you know, sustainable transition-related financing, commitments around our own operations and our supply chain, um, we've committed to be net zero by 2030 at the latest, and commitments, and this is really the most challenging part, commitments to be net zero in our sort of finance submissions, so our scope three, uh, effectively, finance submissions for our clients by, by 2050, and that's underpinned by things like specific policies for certain mm -hmm. sectors, um, huge amount of, um, you know, uh, targets, ambitions, you know, a framework, if you like, yeah. around the clients that we want to support and how we're addressing uh, risks, particularly in sort of high-risk sectors. So if I then sort of bring that down a level in, into Ireland, what, what we try to do again is, is look at, well, 
at a country level, as I articulated earlier, we've got two quite different business lines, but they do have a lot of things in common. So what we've done in the country is we've really thought about sustainability in sort of four categories. The first one really being the business that we're doing with our clients. And, and that relates a lot to the points that have been mentioned, but things like, you know, are we giving the right advice? Are we offering products that are suitably designed? Are we upskilling our teams in order to assist our clients with, with how they want to approach this transition? So that's, if you like, sort of one big category. The second one is, is really thinking about partnership and who do we partner with in the industry to help advance the sustainability agenda. So, you know, what insights might we have from elsewhere in the HSBC group? Can we bring those to bear here? Are we involved in, you know, working groups, forums? I mean, many of the partners that we have in, in the room here. And are we helping to use our own influence and, and bring our own insights and sort of contribute to that part of, of how the agenda is, is driving forwards. And I mean, you know, there are, are examples of those. I've seen, you know, Edel from Basis Point, I know is here, you know, that would be one, things like the Chapter Zero Alliance, mm. um, which HSBC Ireland is one of the founding members of in, in banking would be another. So that's, if you like, category two. There are only four, don't worry. <laughs> um, and then I, I think the third part is, is more around our staff and you know, the, the actions that we take in the community, this is getting perhaps a bit more into the S of, of the E. We don't tend to use sort of ESG that much as, as a sort of acronym, but, you know, so thinking about, um, you know, what opportunities do we give our staff to volunteer? How easy do we make it? You know, what are the types of causes that we like to support in the community where we can support both financially and also um, by making our staff available and, and giving them their time, giving them volunteering days, giving them menus of things they can volunteer for. And, and the fourth one probably, you know, predictably is around our own operations. So actually, you know, what, what do we do with our footprint here? How do we look at our emissions? How do we look at travel, printing? You know, all of these, you know, things which, um, you know, matter in terms of, you know, what is actually the footprint that we have here and, and what are the ways that we can approach that to make that more sustainable? So... We look at everything really within mm. that contract, within those quadrants, and we try to make them measurable as well. You know, I mean, some of these things we're required to measure, but many of them we're not. It's more we've taken an action ourselves to, you know, set aside a framework, and then we can look at, you know, quarter by quarter or year by year, depending on the, the area, how we're making progress, and we report to our staff on that as well. Yeah, it's, it's very hard actually to, to quantify some of those things and to put measure, but if you don't, I suppose if you don't measure, it really is hard to know if you're progressing. Um, Cyril, you mentioned innovation, and obviously, one of the themes today, you know, from a product perspective, what, how is Waystone viewing that? Like, how is Waystone looking at the, the innovation um, of product, given it's so important and so critical to, to Ireland's success? So, yeah, in, innovation is, is, is definitely key. Uh, and there's innovation, there's evolution as well, you know, which is extremely important in our, in, in, in our industry. Uh, and that basically is kind of making sure that we, 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 we match the regulatory developments with uh, with, with, with the different funds that we that we oversee, that we make sure that when there is that type of evolution within within the fund structures, that it's easy for for the clients and making things simple for them to to think about uh, you know different regulatory uh, changes, you know whether that's that was PRIPS or you know one 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 very good example was the SFDR with the different uh, articles. You know it was a nightmare for fund managers to try to to figure out. Where, and, and I think that we're still kind of thinking about it ourselves. Mm. But we, you know, being able to innovate and to have guidance from cli to, to clients with technology, giving them a tool that they can actually ask a few questions on, a, on, a, on, a, on the system and get somewhat results that then they can ask 
actual proper questions is something which is which is extremely important for us. And you know, innovation is also looking at what is happening in the in the world, how distribution happens. Uh, the the world is 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 changing or has changed with with you know mobile phones, uh, tablets, uh, the new, uh, newer generation you know, don't particularly want to go to a Geneva private bank and see an old banker in a stuffy room. They, they, they want to buy their, their funds online on their phone at the touch of a button. And if you, if you can't deliver a, an, an investment for them in a fund within three clicks, they're gone. And that's, and that's the next generation. And how do we actually match this? With, and this is probably one of the biggest challenges for all of us here is how do we stay relevant in the, in the world which is kind of coming to us today where on the one hand there is a lot of AML issue, KYC, in terms of you know, documentation that have to be done correctly uh, in order to have appropriate governance and on the same time the client looking to execute faster than ever. So you have to match the two together and I think innovation and technology really come down to, to support us on this. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the next generation coming through, like you said, Sarah, like they just want things done in a very quick way. They want to understand a product very quickly. They don't really, the complexity piece or delving into the depth doesn't always, isn't always something they want to do. Um, in terms of um, the DE&I agenda, Laura, I'll probably turn to you. I mean, we have Carol, Caroline Farberger um, speaking, are being interviewed later on gender norms. And DE&I is such, a, such a, an important and, you know, really, really important topic. Um, how do you feel that, 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 that that topic is, is progressing and that agenda item is progressing. Are we doing everything we should be doing? Is there more to do? Um, maybe give us your insight on that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, hopefully. Oh, it's back. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, look, a big topic and, and we don't have very, very long to cover it. So maybe just uh, two or three observations. Um, I think the first observation is, is, you know, I'm quite pleased, I would say, in terms of how the debate seems to have moved on in a couple of ways, you know, and Certainly, in my experience, we're speaking a lot more about the, inclu the, the I, if you like, rather than the D, yeah. which I think, I think is progress because, you know, <laughs> you could be as diverse as you like, but if you can't include the diverse people, then they'll, they'll just leave your organisation. So, so I think, you know, what I tend to see in these days is actions are a little bit more inclusion-focused, which I think is, is good. And when I think about that, I mean things like um, looking at, you know, how you're judging progress in a more sophisticated way than just how many women do you have? Or, you know, <laughs> what is the average tenure of your staff, sort of, for example? So that's things like um, in inclusive hiring. You know, I imagine most organisations have some form of approach to inclusive hiring principles and actually looking at, you know, how do you make your roles attractive to different types of people, not just um, are you interviewing some women as well as some men? And, and so I think that's, that's good, that's good progress, and, and I think that, those, that progress will, will continue um, as we move forwards. I think the second sort of flip side of that is I think moving the debate a little bit beyond gender and into sort of slightly more sophisticated realms of what are the different ways you might look at diversity and how do these intersect and how can you approach these in a slightly more thoughtful manner. That's also something which certainly I'm seeing a lot more of than I would have been doing sort of four or five years ago, and I think that's helpful um, because obviously it benefits everybody. <coughs> And, you know, mm. I think historically it's been easier for many organisations to focus on gender because it is just easier to measure. Mm. I think now invest institutions and companies are investing more time and, and more thought and energy into tackling, you know, other areas and, and trying to think about inclusion in a much, much broader sense. I think the third point I would make is just about the sort of leadership on this point and, and you know, 
I would encourage everyone, I think most people in this room would already do this, but to really own this part of the agenda from a management perspective, because I think that's, that's the part, you know, that people really look for. It's representation in your management team, and it's, you know, judging people on the actions that they take and, and actually the things that they're actually doing, rather than just whatever it is that it says on, on, on your logo. And that can be really practical. I think, you know, everyone in my organisation knows that, you know, I have a particular bugbear about all male panels, or, or manals, as we call them, <laughs> and, you know, don't have a manal. It's very simple, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I would say, and I take, I, we don't have all female panels either. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think just be thoughtful, you know, look at the things that you're you're doing and saying. Look at, um, you know, the people you ask to represent you. You know, make sure there's there's good sort of you know diversity and, and inclusion in all of those aspects. So, I think those those are the main point. I think there's a lot of other good things going on in Ireland from an industry perspective. I mean, I would sort of highlight things like business in the community and their work around the Elevate Pledge. That's a good example of someone trying to take the debate significantly beyond beyond gender. And you know, I think things like that. The Women in Finance Charter, you know, gender pay gap reporting, all of these sorts of things for me are helpful because I think it helps um, the industry demonstrate when it's making progress. And mm. that's really what we want to do in terms of, you know, attracting and retaining staff. And, and maybe just to come back to trust because it's on the theme of the agenda, mm. I mean, it's just absolutely critical. You know, I would challenge anyone to build trust with all of your staff, you know, if, if you don't have... Uh, a clear approach to to something as important as inclusion and, and that's not only again what what you say how you do how you do things how you behave the actions that you take the the representation that you give and, and it's extremely important as well when it comes to recruiting staff because I think these days probably along with sustainability and flexible working you mm. know if they're probably three things top of the agenda for staff coming into the organization it would probably be those three yeah um, and I, I agree with you I think the progress towards the talking about inclusivity rather than just diversity is so critical because actually, you know, um, that inclusive piece is so much more broader than a type of diversity. Um, so I, I agree with you and it can actually impact anyone. It's not about a, a gender or an ethnicity. Uh, Lisa, your views on, on the DEI agenda and how it's progressing? Yeah, so, so much of that resonates with me. I, I think it's um, it's been a journey and it's, it's it's way more complicated than I think you know. You, if you think back, some of the ways we tackled these things now, we we wouldn't we wouldn't do it that way. So first of all, it's going to be something that you have to invest in forever, um, because I think we're learning all the time about what inclusivity really means and what diversity really means. So that's that's a, the first point is that um, we we've definitely stumbled. I don't think we've. There's lot of been a lot of money spent and it hasn't always delivered results. So you really need to be results focused. Do you get the outcomes that you were, you were hoping for? And I think the answer is historically we haven't. Mm. There's been some, um, you know, some sort of window dressing that's worked, but it hasn't been, you know, deeply successful. So I think the first thing is you have to be pretty humble about this stuff and keep asking yourself, your organisation, did we, did we get what we wanted? Did we get what we expected? Can we learn? I think we've learned that we, I mean, we've made investments in professionals that focus on this space, deeply understand it, are deeply passionate about it. So as an organisation, you do have to, I think, invest in it. Um, Laura is absolutely right. If leadership don't model this and live it and breathe it and care about it. And also, I think we've just got to talk about what value it brings to our organisations and to society. Mm. It brings value and you have to know that. It's, it's absolutely critical for our industry and for the role we play in our communities. So talk about the value. Um, be really thoughtful about your programmes. And, and the, 
one area, and I mentioned it in my introduction, is you know, the role of people leaders is absolutely critical. You have to have people who have this on their agenda day in, day out. And I don't just mean people leaders, you know, so maybe um, CEO level. It has to be the hiring manager who's you know, hiring for the first time in their career. It has to be the way people host meetings, the way they think about learning and development. It has to be embedded into everything that you do. So our particular focus right now is really investing in our people leaders to take them through a range of programs. We, t we talk about things like team health. You know, is your team healthy? Is there someone in a team of 10 or the nine people who feel it's healthy and one who doesn't? Because that's the one who hasn't been included for some reason. There's something about them mm. that's not bringing in, them into the team. So we're encouraging things like team health checks, you know, sort of questions that draw out those points where you realise somebody does feel isolated or they're not able to be heard or they're, because they are a bit different, their perspective, people kind of ignore them because they think they're not, you know, mainstream. Um, so I think we're really challenging ourselves around how leaders can draw out that information and then how they, they can use it to think about change and then how do, how do they measure that they've got an improved outcome because we all need to retain talent I think we would like to grow talent as well I think Ireland has a great opportunity to bring in younger people you know, people from different social backgrounds who may not normally come to financial services you know how do we bring them in and make them feel included and heard and we support them through their learning and development with this inclusive mindset so I think for us it's it's going to be an ongoing story of learning and stumbling and then success. And we do see success, no doubt, but we've definitely, you know, opportunities remain and we need to be vigilant uh, and, and keep investing in that journey. Yeah, I think the, the conscious piece is really important, you know, making sure that it's on people's minds constantly. Cyril, from Waystone's perspective, anything other than what Laura and, and Lisa have said, I think they've, they've covered, covered quite a lot. lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm delighted not to be on the manual, first of all. <laughs> It's the first time I heard this word, which is good. Um, and and, and it's, it's a testament to, to Irish funds, to be fair to. to uh, and, and I think Pat last night was saying that there's over 52 or 53% of women on, on, on the panel, which, you know, historically, 10 years ago, that probably not have been the case. So, and, as, and as an industry, this has, this has very much involved. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's an easy statistic to, uh, to, 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 to look at. And, uh, but from, an, from, from, from Wasteman perspective, we, we obviously look at you know, all the different aspects that have been just discussed. One of the key things maybe to add is, as Waystone has integrated a number of, of, of companies over the last few years, we have had a very interesting exercise, especially in our people and development and in the different teams that have joined the group in culture and blending cultures together mm. and trying to look at different groups coming together and analyzing who has the st a strong culture in a specific uh, segment and who is you know, managing teams in, in a different way. And so really learning from each other, making sure that we can become better, more aware, and really kind of look at the different uh, individuals mm. and, 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 and apply and, and look at the group at the same time and make sure that everybody has a voice. Yeah. 
And I mean, one topic you kind of mentioned there was, you know, the, the attraction and the, the, the retaining talent and the leader's role, obviously, within that. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's actually becoming harder and harder to be a good leader. And actually, what is required of a leader is evolving. Lisa, like from your perspective, you know, what do you, what, what traits, you know, is, it, is a good leader? What, like, what defines what a good leader is and how has that changed? Neve, I think you've read our sort of brief on and how we think about this because it is, it's a very complex world we're navigating. I think leadership used to be a bit about pointing at someone and saying, do this. Uh, you know, this is what I want you to do, do this. And of course, you know, we, we all know that that's not true but, um, anymore. It's a very complex world. You know, we know post-pandemic, the sort of the way people want to be treated and the way they want to be heard is different. Um, so, you know, I would say one of the key features of leadership is listening these days. You know, it's really about listening to the people, the environment, your community, understanding needs. Um, you know, your job is to enable them as a leader. So you're, you're leading, but through enabling them to be successful and creating that culture and environment around them so that they can thrive. You are setting strategy and you, there's a whole range of kind of pretty normal things that you're doing. But the way we're doing it now is different. It is much more, I think, empathetic. Um, you know, generational change is something we have to be really mindful of. People do things in different ways now, in ways often that I can't now manage because it's on an app and I can't make it launch. Um, but anyway, you have to be thoughtful about that. You know, yeah. how, how do you get the voice of different cohorts thinking about leadership and your environment? Culture, I think, uh, great that Cyril mentioned that. Culture is really important. Uh, people buy into an organisation course of culture. It will, if you get your culture right, if leaders set the tone, if they live and breathe the culture, that will attract and retain talent when sometimes, you know, comp and bends won't always do it. You need to make sure that um, it, it feels like a great place to work because we're in a much more values-driven environment. Mm. So leadership is complex. It needs to be much more soft skills focused. Um, it could still be ambitious. It can still be assertive. Absolutely. It can still be expecting high standards. Of, yeah. We don't drop our yeah. standards because we're doing it in an empathetic way. Yeah. But I do think that the toolkit has changed and leaders need to be taken on that journey and supported through it. And it doesn't suit everybody. And in our culture, we want leaders to be enablers. Um, it's the, just trying to think how our managing director would speak about it, is that, that sort of servant leadership idea. Yeah. That's you know, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very different environment and it's, it's much more complex. I mean, we're celebrating Mental Health Week this week in the office and we're talking openly about, uh, we encourage people to talk openly about mental health, um, how they can find support. Um, people are increasingly candid about the challenges that they've had through their lives and careers. Um, and that is something that we wouldn't have done a number of years ago, That just that openness to share that we're people as well as colleagues crew in our case um so that's just a different mm. world and we do need to help our leaders okay. understand how they show up yeah and laura i know this is an important uh, topic for you as well yeah i actually i mean i 100 agree with everything sort of lisa said so, so i was just going to add actually something quite practical which is um you know i think i think how you communicate as a leader as well has has changed and is changing you know extremely quickly and and it's it's not only having you know the the, the things that you know, Lisa's mentioned around the sort of the culture and the openness and, you know, people feeling safe in the environment so that they can speak up and be themselves. And all of these things are hugely yeah. important and you do need your leaders to lead on that. But even very practically, you know, how, how do you communicate with a, a generation of, of people or different generations of people who consume content in completely different ways? I mean, that, that is another challenge for our, our leaders and just 
by their nature. Typically, the leaders might be more, you know, a little bit older, perhaps, or in a slightly different technological environment, if I can call it that, than some of the people coming into the workforce. You know, it's things like, you know, people consume content. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert on the apps that people use these days either, but, you know, I think there's a sense it's more, it's more bite-sized, it's yes. more on demand, mm. it's mm. a little bit less structured in the framework that maybe some of us might be a bit more used to in mm. terms of you know, town halls and frequency of sort of certain types of communications. That's a whole other challenge, and that's only going to become more challenging, mm. I think, at least you know, until the current generation are probably all, you know, we're working for them, and then we all have to adapt <laughs> sort of even further. So I think that's, that's a real challenge, you know, yeah. and when you think about things like culture, how you embed that culture in your organisation but whilst also dealing with different types of people who want to hear from you and want mm. you to communicate with them in different ways. And then how you mm. adapt to that also in an environment where probably not all of your staff are in the office. So I think that, that is another big challenge yes. on, on the cohort of leaders and a big responsibility for all of us to help our staff with that. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. So we're just running out of time nearly. So Cyril, we've got like one minute. Do you want to add anything to, uh, to that ad agenda topic? Um, no, the only thing I'll add is just, you know, the, the view that we have is the strategic leaders have to, to set strategy views and then give the, the, the flexibility and the responsibilities to the teams to actually achieve those, those targets. And in some ways, the traditional, you know, pyramid of hierarchy in corporates has flattened. Mm. And it's flattened because of technology again, which is, which is you know, kind of something which is interesting because I don't think 20 years ago anyone would have sent a WhatsApp or a Teams message to someone three, four levels above, mm. above him asking him something mm. random. But today it happens. Yeah. And it happens more and more. And, and, and so as, as, as leaders, you have to be ready for this. You have to be acknowledging that the communication channels are, are different. Yeah. And so it's about, you know, making sure that you understand the change. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we've run out of time, um, but thank you very much, all of you. That was really, really, really insightful. Um, and I think it sets the scene very well for the rest of today. So thank you.